the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is. An hour number two is underway at eight minutes past ten o'clock. Thank you so much for joining us on this fifth morning of the seventh month of the year of our Lord, 2019. Hopefully you enjoyed your Independence Day as much as I did yesterday. And the highlight of mine, as I said at the beginning of the show, was clearly the event last night from Washington, D.C. What a phenomenal speech by the President of the United States, unifying and uplifting uh, the exact opposite of what every Democrat said he was going to do, the exact opposite of what every Democrat was hoping he would do. They hoped he would turn it political. They hoped he would turn it into a self-promotion. They hoped that he would turn it into a campaign-style event so that they could rip him for being divisive and being self-promoting rather than supportive of the country and celebrating the uh, the uh, United States' birthday. There was so much hatred, honestly, in the Democrats' response yesterday to what the president did that I feel like it's worth sharing this now. Jesse Kelly writes for The Federalist, and I read this story yesterday evening. And I have to say, it's not something that I would ever want to consider or have ever wanted to consider maybe prior to now, but it's something that we have to look at. When the hatred for the country as it exists gets to be so rampant and so overwhelming by such a large percentage of the population, when the hatred for all things America gets to that level, you have to ask yourself, can America survive? Can America survive a civil war from within? Maybe maybe it's time to talk about a mutual parting of the ways. The idea of breaking up this country may seem a bit outlandish, but you won't think so once the real domestic unrest comes to your town. I'm going to quote Jesse Kelly in The the, uh, Federalist. 
When in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with one another, that is a line in the Declaration of Independence, July 4th, 1776. Speaking, of course, of the separation from the British crown, from tyranny. And now quoting Jesse Kelly, Divorce is hard, but it's easier than cutting the brake lines on your wife's car. It's long past time for an amicable divorce for the United States of America. There is simply no common ground with the left anymore. We are now the couple screaming at each other all night, every night, as the kids hide in their room. We cannot come together, but we do not have to live like this. The history of the world is nations breaking up and redrawing their borders. If we want to avoid this political divide turning into a deadly one, we should do likewise. Stop clinging to the past and acknowledge where we are as a country, not where you want us to be, not where things were when your grandpa was storming the beaches of Normandy, where we truly are. We are a nation hopelessly divided. We are more divided now than we have ever been in our history. And before you start screaming at me about the Civil War, keep in mind that bloody conflict was fought over one major issue. In those days, take ten families from New York and ten families from Alabama, put them all in a room, and you'd find that mostly they had the same values and bad accents. Now fast forward to today and do that same thing. Those families have virtually nothing in common. We as a nation have polarized and separated from each other. Anyone who thinks this is a radical idea has an extremely narrow view of history. If you don't believe me, go try to book a plane ticket to Czechoslovakia. Or look at a map of Europe from the year 1600 and then look at the one that you see today. See any differences? Borders move. Countries split and change hands. They do this for a myriad of reasons. Ours would be a major cultural shift toward the left and half the country refusing to go along with tyranny. I've been championing this idea for a while, writes Jesse Kelly, and it appears others are catching on. Just last week, a group of lawmakers in South Carolina introduced a bill that would allow the state to secede if the federal government starts seizing guns. Why would those lawmakers even be worried about such a thing? Because Democrats are saying it. And not just some hippie chick with armpit hair at a vegan rally. When a former justice of the Supreme Court of the United States calls for a repeal of the Second Amendment, we should take the left seriously. The GOP has many problems, but the Democratic Party has turned into something completely un-American. The United States was founded on two things, Judeo-Christian values and limited federal government. The entire platform of modern Democrats stands completely opposite of both of those. This is the party that booed the very mention of the word God at their 2016 National Convention. This is the party whose candidates openly joke about killing anyone who won't turn in his weapons. Their senators joke on national TV about killing the U.S. president. And the host responds by clapping like a seal. The 1960s countercultural liberal protester who just wanted free weed and an end to the war in Vietnam has been replaced by a man who hunts down Steve Scalise and tries to kill him at baseball practice. The left is not playing games. They are getting bolder and they are getting more violent. Editorial aside here, I'll point to Portland, Oregon, and what happened 
to Andy No, the reporter and journalist who was beaten bloody by mask-wearing Antifa cowards representing the modern American left. Back to the piece. They have no interest in rational compromises. Like all authoritarian ideologies, they want you to bow down before them or to be destroyed or be destroyed for daring to resist. Again, there's your example in Portland. If you believe in God and limited government, here are the entities that now proclaim their hatred of you in full view of the public. The Democratic Party, media, Hollywood, the public education system, and now even corporate America. The GOP may have the House, the Senate, and presidency, but we have completely lost the culture war. Now, of course, the House there doesn't count because this this piece by uh, uh, um, Jesse Kelly was written uh, prior to this. But the rest of the point remains the same, which is why I just read this for the first time last night. But that's why I think it's important to read to you to after uh, the left's uh, unbelievable response to the president's speech yesterday on Independence Day. But let's continue. It does not have to be this way. There is a difficult but ultimately peaceful path that ends with everyone getting most of what they want. We divide the nation in two. We can and will draw a map and argue it over a million different ways for a million different reasons, but draw it we must. I've got my own map, and I suspect the final draft would look similar. People say both sides disagree on everything, but that is not entirely true. A mass shooting happens at a high school in Florida. Both sides do agree something should be done. People on the right think we should increase school safety. People on the left think we should restrict the gun rights of every American citizen. And they'll try to destroy the career of anyone who disagrees. Illegal immigrants are pouring across the border. The right calls for increased border security. The left calls for sanctuary cities and protection from federal enforcement. Every issue plays out the same way. People on the right will only accept this kind of abuse for so long. Sooner or later, the left-wing rage mob will start coming for the careers and the lives of any normal American who sees things differently. This idea of breaking up the country may seem a bit outlandish now, but you won't think so once real domestic unrest comes to your town. Our political disagreements have become a powder keg, one that already would have blown if conservatives had liberals' emotional instability. Nobody is expected to cheer for this split, Cheering is not a normal reaction when couples get divorces. We cheer for old married people on their 50th wedding anniversary. But life is imperfect. Life is hard. We both now agree that living under the other side's value system is wholly unacceptable. The most peaceful solution that we Americans can hope for now is to go our separate ways. So let us come together one last time and agree on one thing. Irreconcilable differences. That piece is from uh, Jesse Kelly. I just read it yesterday. It was written in April of last year, of 2018. Um, If anything has changed between then and now, it's only that he got more right. If anything has changed between then and now, it's only that things have gotten worse. We are that divided. We are that irreconcilably different from one another. And I don't know what it's going to take. I can tell you this. I don't want this to happen. That's one thing that he just said in his piece. You don't want this to happen. But there is going to be a breaking point. 
There has to be. The unrest that happened in Portland, Oregon last week, as an example, the violent fascists, that's right, the Antifa, which stands for anti-fascism forces up in Portland, are the fascists. They are the ones who are literally censoring free speech, literally beating and assaulting people for having a different point of view. They literally are what they say they despise. The violence in those streets, the violence in the streets of Ferguson, the violence in the streets of Baltimore, the violence in the streets of Los Angeles, the violence in the streets of Chicago. When those things reach your streets, you're going to come to the realization, according to Jesse Kelly, and I'm starting to understand his point, you're going to come to the realization that we have to we have to part. We have to part ways. And I'll tell you this. If that parting of ways ever really truly evolves, if that ever really happens, where there is a conservative states of America and the liberal states of America, one with strong military and enforced borders, as they proclaim, one with no military and no need for borders, as they argue for, one with a capitalist model of, of, of economy, where everybody has an opportunity. One, the socialist model as an economy where almost everything is collected by the government to be dis, uh, dished out uh, equitably, according to them, to, to everyone, whether they work or not. One, where citizens are able to defend themselves with a Second Amendment right to bear arms. One, where guns are forbidden. Guns are outlawed. And we can go on and on. The conservative states of America, where religion is celebrated, one where God continues to be removed from the uh, public sphere, the public square, if you will. I'll take my chances. I'll live in my conservative states of America. And I will challenge those in the liberal states of America on one thing. Give them 12 to 18 months. They will be begging, slamming their fists on our door, saying, please let us come back in. Please, I promise we'll be different. I promise we'll change. We're broke. We're crime-ridden. We're drug-addled. People are killing people because we don't have any guns, but only the illegals, uh, the the, uh, lawbreakers have the guns. Our open borders have ravaged us with people who have nothing to bring and offer except for more need from other countries. They would be screaming to get back into our conservative states of America to try to try start this whole thing all over again. That's my belief. Step 20. All right, 1026, the Bob Brands Authority continuing on AM 1420, The Answer. I got a, a note here from a caller off the air uh, who did not want to go on the air, apparently. And by the way, don't do that. Don't don't try to call our screener and tell Marcy to tell me what you had to say. If you don't have the ability or the guts 
to go on on hold and come on the air with me and tell me directly, quit bothering my screeners, okay? I want to tell you that right now. But Marcy did pass along uh, uh, one message to me saying, a caller said that Trump said, resolve, conquer, or die. And, of course, that's 100% wholly inaccurate. What the president said yesterday was he quoted George Washington, who told his Continental Army on the eve of one of the most important battles of the Revolution. He told his army that the fate of millions of unborn future people, future Americans, depends upon what they do there at that time. And they need to resolve to either conquer their enemy or die. They will die trying to conquer the British forces and provide the liberty and the security and the freedom uh, for the millions of Americans that they were built, that they were fighting for at that time. So quoting George Washington, and yes, that was the mission of the Continental Army to conquer the British forces or die. Ron in Brook Park, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Go ahead, Ron. Good morning, Bob. How you doing? Good, Ron. How are you, sir? Oh, I'm doing fine. You know, Bob, I swear this is true, okay? About eight years ago, I was on a national radio show, and I told the host at that time, well, actually, I said two things. I said, this country was founded in a revolution, and it's going to take another one to straighten it up. And the second thing I said was, you're going to see this country divided. I said, I don't know if it's going to happen in my lifetime, although now I'm thinking the way things are being expedited, it might happen in my lifetime. I said, other countries have divided, as you said earlier, What makes us think that we're immune from that, all right? You're going to see the point, like I said, maybe not in my lifetime, but there is going to be a line drawn somewhere in the United States. There's going to be the conservatives and the liberals, and everything you said was correct. Within a year or two, they're going to be begging to rejoin the union, but it's going to take that kind of tough love to wake these dummies up. I mean, there is no no talking that's going to work. Like my dad used to say, you can't tell people anything. You've got to show them. And it's going to take something like that to put them out the pasture on their own with no protection, get overwhelmed with crime, starvation, you name it, and they will be begging to join the people that have a brain in their head. I hate to see it come to that because, you know, we fought so hard to be the United States of America. But unfortunately, somewhere down the line, we're going to be the divided states of America. And it's coming, and it's coming fairly soon. It's a it's an absolute tragedy and quite frankly a travesty uh that what you just said is true but it is indeed true. I feel like this is this is inevitability. Um I hope it is not. I am going to pray that we are able to find our way to work through this, but I am not confident of that at all. I understand exactly what you mean. Mary Grace in Old Brooklyn. Real quick Mary Grace, I only have about a minute. Go ahead. We are the eagle that flies with the dove. My cup runneth over. My president stood up for everything our forefathers and our foremothers fought for. And yesterday, I watched Patriot, and that was a beautiful movie. Well, I'll tell you what, Mary, thank you for the phone call. We, uh, You know, what was beautiful yesterday was the story told by the president, the retelling of the story of the American Revolution and American history and the real patriots, the original patriots, the original patriots are the ones who gave us this wonderful country, and it is up to us to try to protect and save it. Thank you so much for the call. Let me get a time out now, bottom of the hour news on the other side. Bill Federer. You know, join us to talk about miracles in American history. This is the perfect time to talk about this book. 
on the uh, uh, day following the 243rd celebration of our independence. So we, he will join us next right here on AM 1420, The Answer. Ten thirty six. Onward we roll. Thank you for joining us on this uh, fifth morning of the month of July in the year of our Lord twenty nineteen. A fantastic celebration of American history and American patriotism yesterday by the President of the United States and our military put on a wonderful show in Washington D.C. And uh, the story the President told yesterday on a very superficial level, of course, because he was giving a short forty minute, thirty to forty minute speech. He couldn't go too in depth, but the story he told was of the birth of this great country two hundred and forty three years ago and some of the uh, incredible advances that it has made since that time. And that brings me to our next guest, who does a phenomenal job of telling those very stories every single day through uh, a wonderful radio series that you probably have come to know as the American Minute. Bill Federer is an American author and historian, the author of over 20 books, and uh, truly one of the very best uh, historians going, especially when it comes to telling the tale of the United States. Bill, so good to have you back on the program here in Cleveland. How are you, sir? Hey, great to be with you. It's a pleasure to have you on, as always. I'm going to talk about, actually, not one of your 20 books, but we're going to talk about a book by your wife using and adapting uh, from your American Minute uh, segments, uh, Miracles in American History, 32 Amazing Stories of Answered Prayer, and it is indeed by Susie Federer. Can you tell me the uh, genesis of this idea that uh, that your wife had? So I send out a daily email called American Minute, and it goes to thousands and she decided to pick out the best stories and those are the ones where there's a crisis they pray and have courage and things turn around and we developed these stories and researched them and put it together into this book and they're ones from the revolution the war of 1812 the civil war the barbary pirate war uh, the sergeant york story from world war one the patent and his d-day prayer uh and coming to the rescue of the 101st airborne there in baston uh even apollo 13 Nixon had a day of prayer when the oxygen tank blew up and they had to land near a raging hurricane. So these are stories that are exciting. Uh, they're captivating. Uh, young people like them. But they highlight. Uh, it's sort of like the left tells the history, but they filter out anything that has to do with faith. This book has it in there. So you get to see that they were spiritually strong and they were physically and militarily strong. That is such a great point, and you're right because uh, you know it's one thing to tell the story historically uh, of of you know the birth of this country and uh, and all of the the events that you document uh, going forward as well, but but they do, and I don't know why it is that the left seems to be so adamant on keeping the the role of faith out of the outcome of these events. Uh, prayers were 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 said, prayers were asked of God, and yes, as you point out, and as as your wife collected in this wonderful uh, wonderful book, uh, thirty two examples of them being. Being answered, and and I want to talk about some of these, and and we'll start just if we can because of obviously the holiday. This is a perfect time to talk about the revolution, talk about uh, uh, the the battles that led to uh, the birth of this country and the casting off of uh, King George's crown. Let's talk about uh, story number six, and I'm just going to kind of get a, a few selections here, Bill, and ask you to kind of tell uh, in a in a nutshell some of these stories. Cannons and violent storms make the British evacuate Boston in 1775. Right, so the King of England was the most powerful king on the planet. The, the most common, for, the default setting for human government is kings. And they go by different names, Pharaoh, Caesar, Kaiser, Sultan, Tsar. 
And as the centuries go on, the kingdoms get bigger because with military technology, you can kill more people. But it's that same fallen nature of Cain, Kill, and Abel, pyramid structure to society. If you're friends with the king, you're more equal, not friends with the king, you're less equal, you're an enemy of the king, you're dead. It's called treason or you're a slave. This is the norm. The king of England was the biggest. He controlled all of India, Australia, New Zealand, Hong Kong, British Guyana, Barbados, Jamaica, Canada, and America. And America's founders, they did not like this globalist, one-world government king telling us what to do. So they broke away and flipped it and made the people the king. So the word citizen means co-king. So you get to be the king of your life and decide where you want to go to school and what career you want to pursue and who you want to marry. And then together, we're the kings of America. It's a bottom-up form of government. It had never been tried on such a large scale before in world history. Maybe a couple city-states, but they ended up being taken over by, you know, Alexander the Great or whatever. Uh, but this was it. This was the big experiment. And if it wasn't for a 3,000-mile ocean, if it wasn't for 150 years of training wheels of us practicing right, uh, self-government, because Europe was the chessboard that the kings were fighting over, America was an afterthought. But then when France gets in the war, it causes it to turn into a global war. Instead of Britain putting down a little rebellion in one of its colonies, now it's a global war. So uh, we see uh, we, uh, we had the French and Indian War. The British leave troops on American soil. But there's no barracks, so they barrack in your home, and you got to live in the attic or the barn, and they would sleep in your bed, and so this is called quartering. And so a crowd gathers in Boston that says, we don't like this, and the soldiers fire into the crowd and kill a bunch. It's called the Boston Massacre. And then the British began to put an economic squeeze on Boston, and they had the Boston Tea Party, and then the British blockaded the Boston Harbor, and they decided they were going to confiscate all the guns. And they send their troops to Lexington and Concord, and a pastor, Jonas Clark, and his men of his church say no, and they fight the shot that was heard around the world. The British decide they're going to get off their boat and charge up uh, the Bunker Hill and take Boston. Uh, we repel them twice, uh, called the Battle of Bunker Hill. The third time we run out of gunpowder and they take over, but we killed a thousand of them. This is the most powerful military in the world, and we throw together some ragtag troops, and we were able to. Uh, so now the British control Boston. And way over in Philadelphia, the Continental Congress chooses Washington to be the general. Mm-hmm. He refuses to be paid for it. So, like, you know, Trump refuses to take a salary. Um, anyway, there's a young 25-year-old colonel named Henry Knox. Mm-hmm. And his family is chased out of Boston. He has an idea uh, that if he can get permission from Washington to go to Fort Ticonderoga up near Canada, that the Americans had captured, remember Ethan Allen and and he would drag down 59 cannons, take them three months, across frozen lakes, across frozen rivers, and finally get them to Boston. And Washington puts straw around the wagon wheels so the British can't hear what they're doing. And they bring them up to the top of the highest hill in the harbor. It's called Dorchester Heights. The British neglected to get possession of this hill. And so as a result, if you fire a cannon from Dorchester Heights, it can hit anywhere in the Boston Harbor, including the British ships. And so all night long, they're putting in these cannons. They even take some tree trunk, trees and uh, paint them you know, black logs and make them look like extra cannons. And so the next morning, the British uh, uh, commanders, William Howe, he says, these rebels did more in one night than my whole army would have done in a month. Right? He's looking up at this Dorchester Heights. And so the colony of Massachusetts has a day of fasting and prayer to go into effect the next day, which would be March 7th of 1776. Mm -hmm. And the uh, 
declaration of fasting and prayer. You know, we implore the Lord and give her a victory to prosper our arms, that we repent of our manifold sins and wickedness. And Washington orders his troops to observe this day of fasting and prayer. Well, the next day, the March 7th, William Howe, the British commander, is loading 3,000 British troops on ships to bring over to Dorchester Heights and charge up them the same way they charged up Bunker Hill. But a storm comes out of nowhere, and it is so violent, the British can't even load their ships. And so they abandon the attack. Washington writes to his younger brother, Upon their discovery of the works, the cannons on Dorchester Heights, the next morning great preparations were made for attacking them. But the weather, getting very tempestuous, much blood was saved and a very important blow prevented, that this most remarkable interposition of providence is for some wise purpose, I have not a doubt. And, of course, the word providence, Webster's Dictionary says, um, by divine providence is understood God himself. But this was a miracle. Here we are, this ragtag army, the British neglected to secure Dorchester Heights. 25-year-old Henry Knox brings the cannons, puts them up there, and on the day the British were going to attack, they have a day of fasting and a storm comes out of nowhere. So this is just one of the stories in the book, Miracles in American History. That's exactly why I wanted to to, to have you discuss that. Uh, and the book uh, is is again it's kind of co-authored by uh, by Bill Federer with his wife Susie Federer, adapted from all of Bill Federer's American Minute stories. Uh, Thirty two amazing stories of answered prayer. I want to talk about another one now. I want to skip ahead. I enjoyed these so immensely when I read these, and I really appreciated getting this book from you at the uh, uh, Freedom Banquet uh, just a couple of months ago. In which and we're going to talk about that before we're done. By the way, as far as uh, adding the uh, D Day Memorial Prayer to the World War Two memorial in uh, in dc but i enjoyed story number 12 as well the rivers river waters rise miraculously to stop the royal army now moving forward here to 1781 can you tell us a little bit about that one right so um i did uh, finish the first one uh the british evacuated boston <laughs> after the cannons were put on the hill they went to new york uh, there's the, the british were going about captured george washington at new york and uh, a fog comes and allows washington to escape after another day of fasting, um, there's numerous other battles. The Battle of Saratoga, you know, capture Benedict Arnold. But uh, in South Carolina, uh, I think that's the story you're referring to, the Battle of Cowpens. Correct, where, yes, um, yes. They're, they're, um, so the British have a colonel named Tarleton. He's nicknamed the Butcher because at the Battle of Waxhaw, uh, 300 Americans were surrendering, and Colonel Tarleton sends in, in his dragoons, these are guys on great big horses with razor saber swords, and they hack them to death. 300 Americans are hacked to death by this Colonel Tarleton, 26-year-old British colonel. And um, so uh, that's how he got the nickname of the book. If you saw the movie The Patriot with Mel Gibson, and it has this British character, the, the butcher, well, that's him. So he's chasing the American they cha- Yeah, they, they, they changed it for the movie to Tavington. I remember that. and uh, But that was who it was based on, was Tarleton, this uh, this actual uh, British colonel that you're talking about. Uh, and and I think any, everybody's probably seen that movie, so they can put a little bit of a, a context to this. Please continue. So the American ha- have an army led by Daniel Morgan, and he, they're being chased, and the dragoons are fast. They, they've been riding nonstop for 24 hours, and the American... De- Daniel Morgan says, we're going to have to fight. We cannot run them. But he chooses the place, and he does right in front of the Broad River. Now, you never fight a battle in front of a river, because if you're losing, it makes it really hard to run away. So it looks foolish. And then to make it worse, he puts the militia in front. Now, there's two groups of American soldiers. One is the militia, 
they're known for shooting a couple times and running away, right? They mm-hmm. just came off the farm. But behind them are the Continental Soldiers. These guys are battle-hardened. They're trained. They won't run away. So here's Colonel Tarleton riding up. He sees these militia in front of a river. He goes, what fools? He orders charge. They're at a full gallop. The militia guys fire once. They hurry up and reload. They fire twice, and then they run away. And behind them are the Continental Soldiers who act like they're going to run away. But at the last minute, they turn on their heels, level their rifles, and pow, kill 100 British Dragoons at point-blank range. Well, the guys that ran away, they simply circled around the hill, and they came around the other side, and they attacked the British from the flank, and 800 British Dragoons throw down their weapons and surrender. And the Colonel Tarleton, the butcher, rides off, and when word gets to Lord Cornwallis that all of his Dragoons, his Marines, are captured, he was leaning on his sword. He leaned so hard, the sword snapped in half. And so Burgoyne, I mean, uh, Cornwallis was furious. He takes off chasing him. Americans cross the Catawba River from South Carolina into North Carolina. The British show up, and before they can cross a flash flood, and they're delayed. And then the Americans make it across the Yadkin River in North Carolina. Uh, The British show up at the river before they can cross another flash flood, and they're delayed. And then the British are in such a hurry, they're leaving behind their heavy wagons with their supplies. They don't want the Americans to get the supplies, so they burn them and trash them. And then they come to the Dan River, and they watch the Americans get out the other side. And before the British can cross, another flash flood. And so uh, one of the British historians said, here the royal army was again stopped by a sudden rise of the waters, which had only just fallen almost miraculously to let the enemy over, who could not else have eluded Lord Cornwallis's grasp, so close was he upon their rear. So, <clears throat> so now you have a British army with no supplies, They're ordered to wait at Yorktown. Uh, Ben Franklin, Marquis de Lafayette, finally get the King of France to send over his navy. They block the British at Yorktown. So Cornwallis has to surrender, and that's October 1781 and effectively the end of the war. But these stories are just so... And even the Founding Fathers acknowledged it. Uh, They would, um, you know, Ben Franklin said, we had daily prayer in this room for divine protection during the contest with Great Britain. Uh, all of us who were engaged in the struggle must have observed frequent instances of a superintending providence in our favor. Bill Federer uh, is our guest. Just unbelievable stories. Amer- perfectly 100% accurate, but hard to believe just simply because what we are talking about is divine providence. We are talking about prayers answered uh, in defense of, uh, you know, it, it, w- apparently what, what one would describe as simply God um, looking out for the righteous, God defending the righteous against the wicked in so many, because how else do you explain those river ri- rivers rising and, and those flash floods after the Americans get across? It's simply amazing. There are more stories like this in the book you need to get it it's called miracles in american history 32 amazing stories of answered prayer before you go and i know music is playing here but real quick bill federer before you go we spoke uh last uh uh well one month ago tomorrow it was june 6 uh and of course the anniversary of d-day the 75th anniversary of d-day and of course we have spent a lot of time talking you and me and pastor chris long and others uh about uh the d-day memorial prayer project I want to just maybe just give us another minute of uh, of an update on where that stands and how people can support the addition of the uh, FDR prayer that he read to the country on the eve of D-Day and how we can get that added to the World War II Memorial in D.C. Right, ddayprayerproject.org. ddayprayerproject.org. 
They built this beautiful World War II memorial, not one mention of God. I had an uncle die in a B-17. He was a really good, faithful man. Uh, he believed in God. But, and so uh, Chris Long uh, approached uh, Senator Rob Portman, Congressman Bill Johnson, and says, look, let's add uh, Franklin Roosevelt's D-Day prayer. No editing of the prayer, just the whole thing uh, there. And, um, and it passed, but it has to be funded by citizens because it is a prayer after all, and they don't want to tell you lawsuits. So uh, it's probably going to be a couple million, but if everyone can just pitch in a little bit, we can get this done. There is a deadline. If we don't get it done by a certain amount of time, legislation runs out, and we would have to resubmit it, which probably would never happen again with the changing in politics in Washington. So it's a critical time at ddayprayerproject.org. Fantastic, Bill Federer. Thank you so much for all of the work you are doing in advancing that that cause and that project. And thank you for this book. It is absolutely uplifting, and it's so great to see wonderful examples of God answering the prayers again on behalf of the righteous to uh, uh, to to aid in the not only the the building of this country, the birth of this country, but obviously its defense through the years. What a wonderful story! Miracles in American history by Susie Federer, adapted, of course, from Bill Federer's American Minute. Bill, thank you so much, my friend. I'll talk to you again. Thank you, Bob. Thank you. All right, it's 1053. We'll get a quick timeout. Come back with our final segment on AM 1420, The Answer. All right, it's 1055. Obviously, we are short on time here. I want to try to squeeze in a couple of phone calls before we are done. Frank has been waiting patiently in Brook Park. Hi, Frank. Go ahead. Thank you. Hey, tomorrow... Everyone can meet some pro-life patriots right here in Cleveland at 9 o'clock at Benedictine High School, the Benedictine Abbey property. Uh, you can save the mothers and their infant children. We will then go to pray at the abortion chamber at 12,000 Shaker Boulevard. It's curbside parking. That's tomorrow. Meet some pro-life patriots at the Benedictine Abbey at 9 a.m., the high school property there. And right after that, we go to the abortion chamber, saving mothers and their infant children. Frank, I can't tell you how much I appreciate when you call and remind us of that uh, on Fridays, uh, because these happen every Saturday morning, and God bless you and everyone else who is going to be there with you, whether you're a regular or a first-timer, uh, to go there and, uh, and and undertake that very, very noble calling. Thank you, my friend. Uh, Donnie in Euclid next. Hey, Donnie, go ahead. Good morning, Bob. I just wanted to... Let you uh, let you in the audience know that I'm doing okay. I'm still in uh, rehab, but I'm I'm doing a lot better. I'm very glad to hear that, my friend. Very glad. You, how, how are your spirits doing? What about forget about the physical rehab? How are you doing? Oh, I'm hanging in there. I just can't wait to get out of here and uh, go back home. I understand, my friend. I understand. Anything else you wanted to say today? No, but I just want to just say. Uh, you guys, uh, I've, I've been able to listen to some of you, uh, a, a lot of most of your program, especially today, and I, I really enjoy it. And I agree with just about everything that I've heard heard you and your guests say. Well, Donnie, you're a regular caller. People know you when they listen to you. They know about your situation, and I guarantee you there is a strong prayer community in this listening audience for you. So if you're doing better, know that uh, you are indeed getting assistance. Thank you, my friend. Jim in West Park next. Jim, go ahead. Yes, the, the guy that ran into these, this bike group, he was a Ukrainian immigrant, 26 years old. He was a drunk, and he did drugs. He was banned from six different states. 
Uh, he was Jim. He Jim. Was Jim. Jim. If I may ask you to hold on a second, I want to make sure I know what you're talking about. You just said a bike group. What? Are, what are we talking about? It, it's. It was a group of veter, vet, uh, uh, military vets doing a, a parade or something on U.S. Route Two last. Oh, uh, oh, oh the motor. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. I, I just want to make sure I knew what you were talking about because I want to make sure other people know what you're saying too. So yeah, there was. It was. Uh, it was. Uh, he was illegal, wasn't he? Yes. Yeah. Well, no. He was in. He was an immigrant, but he he shouldn't have been driving because of these sanctuary cities. He has been able to get out of this stuff. Yeah. Uh, and my friend, uh, the, the lead biker, Al Mazarda, fifty nine years old. That's how we found out this information. He was driving a fifth wheel, and he had a car carrier like that would carry uh, five day cars yeah I, I, Jim Jim I, 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 I can't, I've got to cut it short because we're out of time here as far as all the details there but thank you for the clarity that's what it was he was um, uh, he was not supposed to be driving this individual but because of sanctuary laws like you said he did not get turned over and and uh, and the terrible uh, accident happened or tragedy happened that's all the time we've got today thanks for being a great part of the show uh, I hope you enjoy your long weekend we're back enjoy Monday for the next Bob France Authority Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.